take your Bibles to a passage and you're going to say, what is he doing? Genesis chapter 14. And of course, we'll get to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to get there in a minute. We're, we're continuing this series on Behold. But I want to start in Genesis chapter 14 because I want this to really connect with us is what Jesus is telling us in this passage. Christmas is a time that we love to decorate. That, that is one of the things that makes Christmas so special. You, you have the Christmas lights and the Christmas trees and uh, you come to church and we have all the lights going on and the trees in the hallway and all that other stuff. It's a, it's a fun time <clears throat> to decorate. And it's one of the weird things we do is we decorate with words. Have you guys ever noticed that? It, it, the, the, the decor in the back, if you go back there for the photo op, it's going to say the word joy. It's like, what does that mean? We like, Christmas is about joy. It's about love. It's about peace. On our mantle, we have these words spelled out, holding up our stockings, but we, we decorate with words because those words mean something. Or do they? I thought of the word hope. And I, I, I think we, we sang that. I, I opened up a Christmas card this morning, hope. We see it on the screen as we're singing the songs. I don't know if we fully understand what hope is. I mean, we see it in Christmas cards. We see it on all this decor that we do and things like that. I, um, I know it's traditional for pastors to get up, especially in a service like this, and just begin to talk about wise men and shepherds. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we do. Mangers and swaddling clothes. I'll get there, and I want to bring that out. But man, I really want to tackle what it means to have hope. I, last year at this time, for me, in this very moment, was much, much, much different than it is right now. You guys know that a year ago, a year and a half ago, Logan was diagnosed with cancer. We spent five months trying to get him to surgery, a surgery that they said was never going to happen or possibly couldn't happen because of the pressure of the cancer because his cancer was so big in his chest that it put so much pressure on his heart. They said if they opened him up, he would die on the table. It was, it was a hard time because he was going through chemo and the goal was surgery. The goal was surgery. Let's get him to surgery. That was the whole thing. It's just we didn't know what we were going to discover, but we knew that we had to get him to surgery. So sickness and all these things. And so we're going to Ohio State, which is one of the best of the best in the nation. We had a surgeon that was operating on Logan that literally, he, he's, if you drive around Columbus and you see advertisements for Ohio State, his picture is one of the pictures that they use to advertise. I remember that morning on December 6th, we walked into the surgery, or, 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 or the pre-op room, and they, they do all this stuff to get him prepped and ready. And, and the surgeon's like fist bombing him. You've got this, bud. You know, I, telling us where to sit and things like that. And so we're out in the hallway. Or we're out in the waiting room. And our phone sends us a message two hours in the surgery. They said it would take like six hours. And said they need to meet, meet with you right away. Now, if your son is having like literally open heart surgery, you get a message like that. It's not funny. It's not good feelings whatsoever. We were brought to this consult room, and we sit down, and, and the surgeon's waiting, waiting, waiting. We're just, uh, just waiting for him to come in, and he comes in and just walks in with these words, and he says, hey, I am, it, it did not go as planned. It's so much worse than what we thought. He said, we brought in specialists while we had them open, and we all concluded that there's nothing more we could do. 
So we closed them up, and I'm so sorry. We had to leave the cancer in there, and it's far worse than what we thought. So this time last year, we were in Ohio State University, 12th floor. Surgeon comes in on day three, and he walks up to us, and he says, he said, you know what? With what we could tell of, we didn't know where the cancer was growing from, growing from before, and we, we weren't really sure the type of cancer, but it looks like it's probably a muscle cancer, and the only muscle in that area is your heart. There is no life expectancy. There, there, there is no hope. There is no, nothing, nothing comes good from that. Do you understand that this is, and then he literally, trying to be positive, said, hey, I, I think if we get real creative that we can get you a couple more years. Like that was going to like cheer us up. I'm a pastor, but I'll tell you, I was low. We did the prayer meetings. We did the uh, anointing with oil. We brought them before the church. We, we did all this stuff. It was horrible. I, I remember just absolutely feeling like a zombie. I, I, I mean, just going through life and, you know, everybody's like, well, there's hope, Tony. There's hope. There's hope. And I'm like, you know what hope is? The anticipation of something that's going to get better. That's what surgery was. And then every treatment option, everything that was done, he's chemoed out. It's hard, so his radiation's not an option. Surgery's not an option. There's no more options. So we go home, literally where we're at right now. This is the, the time hop, one year from now. And they schedule us with a, a, a specialist at OSU. I, I didn't even care. I'm like, what's the point? You're just going to poke at him more, make him sick some more or whatever. And, and I remember being in this specialist office and, and uh, I, he comes in and he says, did anybody tell you about the rare DNA markers that are on his cancer? I said, no. He said, well, you know, because we figured out just from things that happened that that opens the door for us to be able to do some things that we didn't think were possible before. Do you know what that is called? That's hope. See, for a lot of people, hope in that moment for me was not a word that I was decorating with. It was a lifeline. It meant that something changed in front of me that I didn't think was possible. It meant that there was something that I could anticipate of being good. It means that there was something that I could step towards that, that could improve my situation. And it wasn't there before. You see, for a lot of people, they don't understand hope. It, it is like this. It's, it's like a life preserver, and, and you go inside Red Lobster, and they decorate with this. They do. Maybe you have a room in your house, and it's an, in that nautical theme, and you've got that hanging up on your wall. or it, it's, a, it's a decoration. But let me tell you, you take somebody that is drowning... You take somebody that has nothing to hold on to, nothing to grasp on to. No, 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 they're, they're out there and they're thinking, I'm out of strength. I'm out of hope. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to die. And somebody throws you this. You cling to it with all that you have because no longer is it just a cute word. No longer is it a decoration. This in that moment represents hope that wasn't there before. You say, what does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. 
I, I love the cuteness of Christmas. You know, the, 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 the manger scenes are never painted to be hectic and chaotic. They're cute. You know what I'm saying? The nativity sets that we put out, it, it should have had Joseph more like, oh, you know, it's like that would have been, you know, Mary like worn out. She just had a baby and traveled on a donkey, you know, and just like, but it's all halos and, you know, all this other. I'm thinking that's not really how it was. That's not real life. I, I, I guess I want to connect with you and just be real. I'm far beyond just the cutesiness of, of Christianity. I, I, can't, I can't take it just because, you know, you know why some of you here today didn't care about coming here today? Because it'd be so cliche. Hope has come and God is everything. And you have Jesus, you don't have problems. You have Jesus, you still have problems. I just told you the truth. I have Jesus and I have problems, okay? I, I'm just telling you the truth. And I, I think sometimes we get sick of religion or church or whatever because it's like walking into Disneyland. You go in there and you hear the fun stories and the fun songs and the characters and then you step in the parking lot and go home and it's real life. Church should not be that way. Because then the fact is, I'm, I'm not trying to picture, paint a picture that, that tried to make it cutesy and, and above reality. See, the thing is, I don't think we connect the dots with the Christmas story in life. See, the world is messed up. If there's one thing, I don't care if you go to church ever in your life or you're here just today, you'll agree with me, this world is messed up. I am so sick and tired of hearing the word cancer. I, I feel like here, I don't know if my, my uh, you know, level is just intensified where I feel like I hear that word every day. I, I, I do. So-and-so is diagnosed with this. I'm tired of political division. I'm tired of racial division. It's sin. It's all sin. It, it divides churches. It divides families. And it shouldn't be. It's sin. It's part of the curse. It, 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 the disease and COVID and, and, and global warming and the ozone and let's go green and go all better and all this stuff. The whole world is just messed up. You say, why is it so messed up? I'll tell you why it's so messed up. Whereby, as one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Sin came into the world, and it ruined everything. Sin came into the world, and it's like a disease. Everything that it touches, it corrupts, and it tears it down, and it breaks it down, and it ruins it. It just it, it tears apart marriages, and tears apart your life tears apart reality. It, it, just, it just stinks. The Bible says in James, and in, in, in sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. When it is finished, it, lit, it literally has an agenda. It's like it, it's running its course. And you want to know why the world's falling apart? Because the world is falling apart. The world is sick with a disease that there is no cure. So, oh, Pastor Tony, there's Jesus. No, no, no. This is going to pass away. Well, we're talking about this world. It's going to come to an end. It's passing away. So all of the band-aids of the things that we try to do to fix the ozone layer and fix all the... It's, it's, it's not going to... It's, the world's never going to get better. It's the way that we know it. But it simply affects us all. This world affects us with all of these side effects of sin in such a way that it does bring anxiety. 
I'm telling you, a lot of you, if I was to have you raise your hand and I would never ask you to do this, you would testify and say, you know what, I am, I am, there's no peace on earth, goodwill to men, I'm just strung out. With that comes depression, with that comes suicidal thoughts. There's people in this room right now that if you were to be real and, and transparent, you could do, you, you would admit, just say, man, the thought of just taking my life has really crossed my mind because I am so fed up with everything that I'm dealing with that I can't do it. It's hard. We try to fix all these things and I feel like we're just, in a lot of ways, making things worse. The more we try to find cancer, the more cancers, or more that we try to treat cancers, the more cancers are created. Just trying to be real. So yeah, Mary with child, Bethlehem, no room in the end, beautiful stable. Let's go a little bit deeper than that. I want you to know Jesus today, but I want you to know who he, where he came from and why. Because there's a lot of names associated with the Christmas story. There's Emmanuel, God with us, and that's awesome. And there's Jesus, Savior of the world. And there's all these Names that we associate, but there's one name that means something powerful that brings hope. So if you get into names, they matter. If I, if I was to tell you, I've got a buddy that wants to play on your basketball team. You'd be like, we're good, dude. Okay. Oh, you know, bald old pastor is going to give us a name or somebody. But if I told you that my buddy's name was LeBron James and he wants to play on your basketball team, you know, you wouldn't be like, oh, no. You'd be, oh, Yeah. Names matter. Titles matter. In, in the Bible, when it talks about the names of God, just like LeBron James is associated with playing basketball, these names associate with something that brings power and authority or whatever with it. So we know the names Elohim and Adonai and El Shaddai and Jehovah, but can I give you a name that I don't hear mentioned very often? In Genesis chapter 14, there is something that happens, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I want to go through this kind of fast because it's, it's so powerful, but I just, I just want you to get this at Christmas. Uh, Lot was Abraham's nephew, and, and he was captured, and there's these four kingdoms in Genesis chapter 14. Four kingdoms, four armies, four nations, four kings gather together, and they go in, and they capture Lot, the women, and all of their possessions, and they bring them into bondage, and there's nothing Lot could do. I want you just to, to spell out in your mind that Lot was in a hopeless situation. He didn't fight back. He didn't have an army. And he didn't have a lot of friends. There was nothing Lot could do. Abraham finds out about it. Abraham goes in with 318 of his own men that were raised in Abraham's house. They overcome these kingdoms through the power of God. They return home and he encounters this priest. Now, I don't have time to go into the priest, and anybody that has any Bible knowledge will know that this is a very deep subject, and I don't have time to go into this very deep subject. But Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So this, this, this guy is a king and a priest. He's, he, he is a combination of one that goes before God, but he's a ruler. And, and just to give you, it's, it's kind of a type of Christ, and it's, and it's prophetic, and it's all these other things, but I don't have time to go into it. But I can tell you that this, this priest, this, this guy that was representative of God, steps in, and he introduces the name of God called El Elyon. 
I know we will go around and say, praise Jehovah and Yahweh and Jesus and Savior and Adonai, but El Elyon is not a name that's often mentioned. But without that name, we would not have Christmas. So this priest comes out and he's explaining who God is. He said he's El, which is God and creator, but it goes deeper than that. Describes him as the most high. It literally means that the, guy that we're, the God that we're talking about is, is the highest, okay? In our court system, we have the local courts and state court. But I'll tell you, the highest court is the Supreme Court. When it goes to the Supreme Court, it, it judges overall and it has final authority. It is talking about here in this passage that our God, El Elyon, is the supreme overall, has his final word, and nothing is greater than that. It's the most high God. When it describes the most high God, it says that he has no limits. It says in verse 19, he's the possessor of heaven and earth. He not only created it, he rules it. He not only owns it, he controls it. But brings us to the point of the story. That Lot and Abraham were hopeless. When they're introduced to the God of El Elyon, they're introduced to the God of El Elyon for the first time ever. This name is mentioned in the Bible, and it's associated and says in verse 20, And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. Let me just lay it like this. Hope is found in God. And I know you're going to be like, we, we've kind of established that, Pastor Tony. Let me explain this. It wasn't until El Elyon stepped into the situation that even though there was four kingdoms and just one guy named Abraham and his people that he abolished and he moved and he worked and he overpowered them in such a way that when he came back, Melchizedek said, that was not you. That was not your people. You have no ability of yourself to do that. That was the most high God that went before you and he did what man could not do. It was a hopeless situation that was out of Lot's hands, but he was establishing when the final authority steps in, the enemy has to bow. I know, that's right. yeah. Because he came into the presence of the most powerful God that there is. The maniac of Gadara, when he bows before him and talking about representation, he said, who are you? He said, we are legion because we are many. But when they established that they were in the presence of Jesus Christ, it says that he cried out and fell on his face before him with a loud voice and said, what have we had to do with thee? The son of the most high God, I beseech thee, torment me not. The demons of hell were afraid because they recognized that Jesus came in the authority of the most high God. I don't know what you are dealing with in your life, and I don't know what's torturing you, but I can tell you the authority of El Elyon, when it comes into there, even the demons of hell, legions of demons have to bow before his name. Yeah. Say, so what does that have to do with Christmas? What in the world does that have to do with Christmas? Everything. Because you understand, the problem is that we have this disconnect. We can talk about God all day long. The God of the universe and that God that created heaven and the earth and the God that did this and the God that spoke in the existence and the God, the God, the God, the God. But it's almost like that. God, God, God. Distant. Who am I? What about my kid with cancer? 
What about the struggle that you have in your life? What about the anxiety that's ripping me apart? And I'm glad that there's a God out there. But what about my problem in here? The Bible says that in Ephesians, that time you were without Christ, I could put it that at that time that you were without the act of Christmas, without Christ. And it says at the end of it, having no hope and without God in the world. It wasn't that God wasn't hope because he was always hope. It's the problem that I was disconnected from the hope because I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. And I live in a cursed world and I'm around the cursed world and my kids are impacted by the cursed world and there's a separation between me and God. But watch how Jesus is introduced. I want you to view the Christmas story and I want you to pick up every bit of this as we go through and not just saying Emmanuel, oh God with us. Notice what he says. And the angel said in in Luke 1.30, and the angel said unto her, fear not Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy move and bring forth the son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him of the throne of his father David. Verse 34, then, then said Mary unto the angel, how should this be, seeing I know not a man? I'm incapable. What you're asking me to do is impossible. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. You see, We read the Christmas story and we're just thinking about cute baby Jesus. We're not understanding that what that represented is the son of the most high. El Elyon is coming to earth. It literally meant that the one that rules over all the highest of high, the final authority, the one that has all power is stepping out of heaven. The Bible says the son of man or the son of the highest. He could have just said son of God. He could have just said son of Jehovah. He could have just said the son of Elohim, the creator. He said, no, the one that is coming to earth has the authority to change everything. Literally saying the one that's coming to the earth has the power to change things that you cannot change. That was the Christmas story. It goes into Luke chapter 2. It says it again. And we, I, I think we overlook this. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest. Have you ever wondered why it says that? It wasn't just saying, we're, we're up in heaven yelling this down. No, literally it was saying, this message is coming from the most high God. But the message changed everything. He says, listen to this. And on earth, listen, God coming to earth. And on earth, peace and goodwill to men. We have the story and we see that the hope of Jesus and the hope of salvation was coming to earth. Luke one thirty one, the son of the highest, which was Jesus. Hope is found in God. But let me tell you this, hope is experienced through Jesus. Because without God coming to earth, there was a disconnect that we could never reconnect. Because we had sin in our lives. Hope is experienced through Jesus. Read it again. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. What? 
Elion, son of the Most High, conceived in my womb and bring forth a son, a child, and he shall, his name shall be called Jesus, and he shall be great, called the Son of the Highest. Do, do you understand what Jesus was, was saying with that? The Most High literally was going to step into your family. He's going to be in your house. You're going to hold him and kiss his cheeks. He's going to be with you when the Herod comes to kill the babies. He's going to be with you when your father, your husband Joseph passes away. You see, Jesus was not just El Elyon. He was Jesus in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our hurts, in the middle of everything. This world is messed up. This world is hopeless. Let me read the verse again. Let me remind you, you're like, Merry Christmas. That at the time you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in this world. That's the, that was the condition that we were. Because El Elyon was separated from us. But the next verse says, but now. You know why it says, but now? Something has changed. Something is different. We call it Christmas. You know what it is? It's El Elyon with us. We are not alone anymore. But now... Things are different, but now something has changed, but now there is hope, but now in Christ Jesus, who are sometimes afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace. You say, I have no peace. There's only one person that gives peace, and that is the Son of God, the Most High God. There's a reason that when he's introduced, he's called the Prince of Peace. Because he has the power and authority over everything that we face, including death, hell, and the grave. You realize that that's what this is all about. But now things have changed in our lives. This is hope for life. But it's hope for death. I told you this world is dying. This life is falling apart. It's coming to an end. And I think it's so weird that people won't care anything about God until there's a funeral. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk about heaven and we'll see them again. Here's the reality of this. It's only found in Jesus Christ. The religious ceremonies of stepping in the church on Christmas and Easter. Thank God that we're all here for hear this. But it's the message you hear, not the action that you do that makes the difference. Do you understand what happens Born in a manger, literally born to die for our sins. There's a reason he was born in a manger, because he was born to be the sacrifice of our sins. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, which was literally the grave clothes. It was all prophetic. He goes to a grave. Now listen, we were hopeless. You know why? Because we had enemies that we could not overcome. Sin, death, hell, and the grave. But see, when Jesus came and he took our sin and he went to the cross and he died and he came out of the tomb three three days later, do you know why he left the tomb open and walked out of it? Because he was literally saying, that has no hold on me. Do you get that? My sin encountered not just a good God, a great guy, but the most high God my sin encountered. And my sin was no match for God because my God is greater. It met the holiness and the righteousness of God and it was Changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the hope of Christmas. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
It's got to be received in our life and not just associated with Christmas. I had a while back a personal encounter with this. I, I, I had, I, I've had some bad days, guys. I've had some bad days. But two months ago, I had one of the worst days I've ever had in all my life. I've only told a handful of people about this, my life group and things, what I went through. My daughter Morgan had a desire. She, she wanted a car. She's at the age of wanting a car. She's 16 years old. And so she wanted a, a white car. It had to be this white, cute car with cute eyes, which she was talking about the headlights. That's another story for another time. That was the criteria for, for her car. And, and so I remember being on this quest. Well, I found one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I, I was searching everywhere for it. It had to be in the price range and things like that. So I found one in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so I told Morgan, I said, what if we go on a road trip together and, and go see this? Well, at the time, Logan was coming off of his first chemo treatment of this new round that he's on, which now he's been on for three months. And, and he wasn't feeling good. And I was like hesitant. Maybe I shouldn't go. Maybe I should. But I need to spend time with Morgan. So I rented this rental car to head to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm on the phone with Jenny. And she says, Logan's getting worse. Logan's getting worse. And I'm like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have gone. I put a deposit on this car in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was committed. Out of nowhere, a deer runs out on the trip and I total the rental car. I literally totaled it. It's, it's literally on my insurance now. I totaled this rental car. Now this deer totaled the car. It was, it, that was technically his fault. It wasn't my fault. It was the deer's fault. I got out of the car. I went and found him. I had a conversation with him just so he know he ruined my day. Uh, I hope that picture doesn't offend you. I don't know if it was Bambi or not. We'll know Sunday morning, depending on how things go. Uh, but yeah, I, I found him. I talked to him. He, he didn't make it. I'm just going to put that out there for, to you guys. You're going to be like, Merry Christmas. Guess what pastor showed in church? So now we're stuck on the side of the road, and the rental car company said that they're going to send a car to pick me up. I get a car to pick me up, and they're going to take me to the next city to pick up this rental car. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Midnight, no car comes. Nobody. We're stuck on the side of the road. No bathroom, no restaurant, no Uber Eats. There's no nothing. We're just stuck, cold. Finally, a car, car drives, uh, a tow truck calls me and he says, hey, I'm on the way. Where are you at? I'm like, where am I at? I said, I gave all this for me. He said, do you, do you know that everybody that said they'd come get you, all those tow truck drivers bailed on it. I'm the only guy left. I don't even know where you're at. I said, where, what are you going to do with me? He says, I have no instructions to help you at all. So me and Morgan on the side of the road, midnight, 1230 in the morning, is stuck. Jenny calls me and she says, I think I need to take Logan to the hospital. I'm like, I, I can't take this right now. I'm stuck. I am stuck. I'm so stuck that I can't move, literally. Thank God Trisha's mom and dad live right down the road picked me and Morgan up from the side of the road, took us to a, a hotel, get to the hotel. And uh, the next morning I'm calling the car rental company. I need a car. I need a car. After an hour of calling, they literally said, sir, I hate to tell you this. There's no car, not a car rental place around here. There's nothing we can do. We, there's nothing we can do. I said, ma'am, my, my, at that same time, I'm on the phone with Jenny. She said, we're on the way to the hospital. She said, Tony, with Logan's side effects and the things that he's doing, they think that there's possibly something going on with the brain. 
It's one of our biggest fears is the cancer traveling to the brain. She said, they're bringing him in right now for a CT and MMRI. I said, I, I, I can't be there. I can't, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I was so overwhelmed. I'm telling you guys, I, I'm literally sitting on the verge of tears, not knowing what to do whatsoever. <clears throat> I did something stupid out of desperation. I called an Uber to drive me four hours to pick up the car. You say, that was stupid. Yeah, it was stupid. I was desperate. I didn't know what to do. So I'm in this Uber with Morgan, and we're both in the back watching our phones, just watching for CT results or whatever, and it's taking forever to happen. We get to this place. I tell them I need this to be done as soon as possible. I need to get back. I buy the car. I need to get back to my son. I said, I can't be here. I said, dude, I'm not even in the right frame of mind to even deal with you right now. And, 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 and Logan now is, is in, in the ER having all these tests. I finally get the paper signed. I get into the car. I drive 15 minutes down the road, and the motor blew up in that car. They did an oil change and rushed the oil change and never put oil back in the car. I saw the light come on, and I thought, huh, that's weird. Started making all these loud noises, loud bang. Smoke came out, pulled her to the side of the road. And I'm literally not saying a word. I'm, I'm grabbing the steering wheel. I've got my head down. And I'm like, God, where are you? What am I doing wrong? I'm so stuck. I'm so overwhelmed. Yes, I'm a pastor, and I was mad. I call up the guy, and I said, your piece of junk car just fused up on me. You ripped me off. The guy said, settle down, settle down. He drove to the side of the road. The owner of the car lot drove to the side of the road. He picked me up and he said, you know what? All the paperwork's done. In the moment, he refunded my car, drove me to the airport. And he said, no matter what this costs, I'm flying you and your daughter home. And I tell you, I'm like, okay, now I have to get into an airline to fly where I lose connection to my phone and I won't know if my son has brain cancer or not while I'm up in the air. And here's the thing. You say, what is the point of this? I get into the airplane and I am looking out the window and I am praying and crying and listening to music and I'm just doing all these things. And I look out the window and I'm reminded that the God that I serve is not just a God. He's not just a good God. He's El Elyon. He is the most high God that sees me in an airplane and sees Logan in a CT scan and he sees my wife in a waiting room and he sees Morgan who just lost her own, her car. <laughs> and he sees me. You know what the beauty of it is, is while I'm staring, seeing the creation and the allness of the most high God, I have the presence of the most high God because I know Jesus Christ is my personal savior in my life. There's not a disconnect anymore. Because when Jesus came to die on the cross, when he was born in a manger, he stepped into Mary's life, stepped into Joseph's life, stepped into my life. I am not alone. Too many people play this religious game of being familiar with God when God came for us to know him. The Bible is very clear. 
We have to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. That is the only way to truly have Jesus Christ in your life. It's not a religious act. It's not ceremonies. It's not just words. You see the difference is I can talk about hope, but when you realize the condition of your soul, you realize that this is Jesus. And he's sitting there throwing it out to you saying, I'm gonna give you something to hold on to. It doesn't change the circumstances of this life, but he'll go with me through the circumstances of my life. He changes things. I was with God in that plane. And when I landed, I took it off airplane mode and all of a sudden it dinged and it had all these smiling, laughing emojis. Jenny's saying, MRI is clear. He's okay. He's just sick right now. Who is with you when you're going through the darkest times of your life? Who is the one that holds your hand and carries you through? Because I'm not just saying that God wants to be with you. God wants to be the highest thing in this world and the highest thing in your life. He rules over sickness. He rules over trials. He rules over fear and anxiety. But I'll tell you, you've got to know him. And the truth is, every one of us one day will stand before God because this world is coming to an end and every life will come to an end. Nobody has a guarantee of living forever in this life. And Christmas is a story of telling you that truth and that message. And the Bible is simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know him? It wasn't until I was 16 years old that I came to the point in my life where I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I played games. I was familiar. I knew the stories. I knew the verses. But it never was a thing that went from my head to my heart. And I think for a lot of people, it's something that there's a disconnect between your head and your heart. Do you personally know him as your savior? Have you ever came to the place in your life where you acknowledge that you are a sinner and you saw the life preserver cast out to you, grabbed onto and said, God, yes, I receive you as my personal savior. Have you ever done that? I say, you say, Pastor Tony, I, I don't know if I have or not, or I'm not sure, and I don't have peace. You understand that God is the one that gives you peace. In this world, you have, will have tribulations, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's the one that gives you that peace. So I ask right now for anyone in this room right now that you say, Pastor Tony, I don't, I don't have this settled. I'm scared. I'm upset. I'm broken. I'm up and down. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Today you can know. Right now in your seat, I just challenge you to pray. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to go to you. Just right now in your seat. I, I, I'm asking you right now to pray from your heart and say, Dear God, I know that I am lost. I know that I need you and I know that I'm hopeless. And in this Christmas service today, I reach out to the God of the Most High. And I ask you, God, to come into my life and save me. I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins and to set me free. I ask you, God, to help me, to save me, to change me. I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to come into my life. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it is not repeating those words. And everybody's like, I hope I said it right. You go to your father, you tell him what's on your heart. You can't say it wrong. You just be honest and real before God. 